0: Yeah, have your Bibles with you. You can turn to First Samuel chapter eleven. That's First Samuel chapter eleven, and we've just seen uh, the fact that the Lord had revealed to Samuel that Saul was going to be the Lord's choice for a king for Israel at this time. Samuel revealed that uh, to Saul in private. And then we got to see that he was publicly chosen as the lots were cast for Saul. And then we get to see the first action uh, with the first enemy, the Ammonites, pressing in uh, in chapter 11 here. So 1 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to take the whole chapter. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I'll make a treaty with you that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we'll give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit rushed upon Saul, and he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them through all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so it shall be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. When He mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we'll give, give ourselves up to you that you may do whatever seems good to you. The next day Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, And there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us understand this account that you would help us understand salvation, how you work your salvation. I pray that it would change our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yesterday afternoon, um, uh, I, I threw in a DVD with my girls called The God of Wonders that Dan Martian gave me this weekend. And it's a DVD talking about the glory of God's creation. And I had this text on my mind. I had Israelites on my mind who so quickly look to make a treaty with the enemy rather than go to God. And it struck me, maybe as strong as I've ever felt it before. So let me, I just want to transfer some of it to you. Uh, Some of what I felt yesterday. So as I'm watching this video, they begin by talking about God's power seen in the universe. And they talked about the sun's power that in one Second, now, you got to put on your thinking brains here. In one second, the sun produces more energy than man has ever produced since Adam. So, the closest star to us is the sun, and in a second, this one star produces that much power. Our sun is not nearly the biggest of the stars even though it's huge. If if you could picture our sun as a sphere, you could put one million Earths inside it to help you understand the size of the sun. Now, imagine this. They say in our Milky Way galaxy, there are over a hundred billion stars. And now think in terms of power for a minute. How much energy flows out of one star? Think, let your brain try to comprehend a hundred billion in the Milky Way galaxy. And then scientists tell us that with the Hubble telescope they now know that there are over a hundred billion galaxies are you tracking your brain and my brain can not comprehend the energy in the universe and then they got into E equals MC squared which I'm not even going to get into that's but what it means is even in a little bit of matter, there's a lot of energy represented in it. That's Albert Einstein. I know some of you understand that. And I read it and read it. And I'm like, it just means there's a lot of... Even in this right here, The amount, if you could harness all the energy in this piece of wood here, it would blow our minds how much power, energy is... There. Now get this. Psalm 33.6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. That means the stars and space, the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. That's the stars. He just spoke them and they were there. And then in verses eight and nine of Psalm thirty-three, we read, "Let all the earth fear the Lord; let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him." For He spoke, and it came to be; He commanded, and it stood firm. Isn't that right? They they didn't have the Hubble telescope; they had eyes. They could look up and imagine. Ought we not stand in awe to the one who spoke? Psalm 147 3 says this. This is, this is just absolutely comforting and shocking. He, being the Lord, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the stars. He gives them all their names. The one who heals the brokenhearted is the one who is named. The hundreds of billions of stars and the hundreds of billions of galaxies, he named them, and he's the one who heals the brokenhearted. In fact, they said there's over a billion trillion stars. You can't comprehend it and neither can I. It just sounds like a joke. I want to know the scientists that counted them or how they figured that out. But there's a billion trillion stars. Then in verse 5 of Psalm 147, it says, Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond all measure. If He's going to name them all, what must His understanding be like? What must His power be like to make them? And then Isaiah 55, 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are My ways higher than your ways and My thoughts higher than your thoughts think. As high as the heavens are above the earth are my ways greater than your ways. Well, we can't even imagine naming the stars. So how far are the heavens higher than the earth? Well, if you travel at the speed of light, which by the way is six hundred and seventy million six hundred and sixteen thousand six hundred and twenty nine point three eight miles per hour. Approximately six hundred and seventy million miles an hour. So if you're going that fast to give it put it into perspective, if you were to go around the earth in an airplane At that speed, you could wrap the Earth seven times in one second. Imagine the g-forces there. (laughs) At that speed, scientists estimate as far as they can see into the universe, if we were to travel at the speed of light, do you know how long it would take to reach the ends? Which, by the way, it's expanding. It's a long trip. As high as the heavens are above the earth, it's a long trip to the end that traveling at the speed of light they estimate that would take 28 billion years. And I'm thinking about Israel who can't trust their God and needs to put trust in themselves, their own pragmatic ideas, and make friends with the enemy to serve them. Can you see what I was feeling? It's one thing to read the Old Testament and say they're foolish. It's another thing to grasp something of the glory of God and the power of God and the kindness of God that, I mean, and He created all the hosts. We get half a sentence. You know, you watch this video and you just want to live in the glory of imagining, and the Bible gives it this much. Because that's just something He did. What must He be like? What must it be like to see the Lord face to face? To dwell in His house forever? What about the excitement of knowing this Lord? And it makes more sense when we read Romans 1 when Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is clearly seen in the things that have been made. You see? If you just look at the earth, you know you ought to tremble. And we looked at the mass scale. You just go to DNA. You just look at in a little pin head of... If you can imagine a little pin with a little circle on the end of it. The amount of DNA that fills up that little circle. So DNA is, a, as I, I guess, I'm not pretending like I understand this, It holds, it is a storage house of information. And if you were going to put all the information in that little pinhead in books and stack them on top of each other, it would go 500 times higher than the moon. We think we're so smart with our books this thick. So whether you go mass scale or micro, we're amazed. And man looks at all that and says, suppress it down, forget it. I'm going to worship man and beast. Created things, not the Creator. So I hope you get a little bit of feel for the God of our passage when it says the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul. And to understand chapter 11 of 1 Samuel, I found out that you have to understand the book of Joshua and the book of Judges because there's similarities everywhere. If you were to just read Judges and they'll go right into 1 Samuel and you're going to get to chapter 11 here, you're just going to say, man, I've heard this sort of thing Before, And I think it's the key to understand the point of our text. So we're going to spend the first half or more than half of the sermon looking at some of the similarities that we find in our passage. Then we're going to unpack it. So if you look at your notes there, you can see uh, that I listed some of the similarities. I'm just going to run through quickly. The first one is the location, Gilgal. At the end of our passage, Samuel takes the people of Israel to Gilgal to renew the kingdom, to renew their allegiance to the king. Well, it's interesting because if you remember when Joshua brings Israel through the Jordan he sets up 12 stones at Gilgal so that they'll remember that the Lord is the one who parted both the Red Sea and the Jordan. And back in chapter 10, verse 8, you remember Samuel told Saul that in seven days, go down to Gilgal. And I will tell you what to do there. So just the location is interesting. It's a place of renewal. It's also going to be the place where Saul's kingship is stripped from him in chapter 15. So just make note of that. Second, this statement that the Spirit of, the, of God rushed upon Saul. If you've read through the book of Judges, you saw... Unlikely men have the Spirit of God rush upon them and they worked mighty salvation for Israel. And a lot of times, surprisingly, because it seems like their character is lacking. I'll give you a couple examples here. We have Othniel in Judges 3.10. We read, "...the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel." He went out to war and the Lord gave uh, the king of Mesopotamia into his hand. And so he gave victory as the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You remember Gideon in Judges 6.33, we read, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abba's were called out to follow him. And then if you remember, he divides the 300 men into three companies and he tells them to blow their trumpets at the same time And the Lord throws them into confusion and they rout them. And so, you have him splitting his army into three companies. We're going to see that Saul does the same thing as the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him. And then you remember Samson. Remember Samson when he was attracted to the Philistine woman? And... He wanted to go down and meet with her. We read in Judges 14, starting at verse 5. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came towards him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. I don't know how one tears a young goat, but he didn't have anything in his hands. And the lion came, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and he ripped the lion apart with his bare hands. He goes and meets with the girl. This guy's a stud, by the way. And leaves, decides it is who he wants to marry. He's on his way back oh, there's that lion I killed. I want to go check this out. That was, I'm I'm sure he's a little bit like, yeah, here's the carcass. Well, there's a bunch of bees surrounding it and there's honey on the inside of the carcass. And he puts his hand in, gets a handful of honey, and he's eating it with his mom and dad as he's going down to marry this girl. The book of Judges is really interesting, by the way. It's better than any soap opera you can find. And so he gets, goes and meets this Philistine girl and is ready to marry her. And he tells them, I'll give you 30 pieces of linen and 30 changes of clothing. He tells these 30 young men who come to be there for the wedding, if you will tell me the answer to this riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat out of the strong came something sweet. Well, I'm sure... Well, maybe you do or maybe you don't remember how what happens. His wife, they have seven days to figure out this riddle. Finally, she gets it out of him what the answer to the riddle is and he, she goes and tells her people. And we read in Judges 14.8, that they came with the answer, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion. And he said to them, if you have not had not plowed with my heifer, I don't know why he calls his new wife a heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. He said, you use my wife to figure out the riddle and then we read, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who told the riddle. In a hot anger, he went to his father's house. So you see the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him and he rips up a lion. Then he kills these men in a hot anger. And we see the same thing. Saul in his anger, cuts up an ox. And the book of Judges is a sad book. It's a book where there it, it's continually said there's no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone went according to their own wisdom. They, they did what they thought was best and this sad book ends with about the saddest story you can ever imagine and it happens in Gibeah which is where Saul lives and is where he sees victory in our story but the darkest day in Gibeah was a day when a Levite who had a all right there we go Saul, as they're coming into town, this old man saw them in the town square. And it says he was coming in from working in the field. By the way, Saul is coming in from behind the oxen. He was plowing in a field when he got the news. But So there's even similarity there. But as this Old man is coming into town. He sees these sojourners. And he says, don't spend the night in the square. Come spend the night in my house. And as they come into the house, we read in Judges 19.22, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows. Remember that. Because right at the end of chapter 10, right after Saul was chosen by Lot, it said some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? Just remember that. Worthless fellows come to the door, surround the house, beating on the door, and they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. He says, don't do such an evil thing. Rather, and here's man doing what he thinks is best in his own mind, let me give you this man's concubine and my virgin daughter, and why don't you violate them? And they push the concubine out of the house. They have sex with her all night. And she's laying on... The stairs, the threshold of the door, and in the morning, when they wake up and open the door, she's lying there dead from the abuse. So, the book of Judges, when man does it his way, ends. But it's not done yet. It gets more pathetic. Because then what happens is the Levi takes the concubine home, cuts her into 12 pieces and sends them out to all the tribes of Israel to let them know what these worthless men in the land of Benjamin in Gibeah had done. So all all of Israel rises up, says, give us the worthless men. The Benjaminites are great warriors. They say no. And so the battle's on. And after thousands die, Benjamin is wiped out by Israel. It's a civil war. There's only 600 men of Benjamin left. And they go find their, they, they escape to the rock of Rimna. And they're hiding out there. And then Israel feels bad. And they say, Well, we almost cut off our brother. Where are we going to find wise for these 600 men? Because we took an oath that we wouldn't give them our daughters, and then man thinking on his own comes up with an idea. And they said, here's what we'll do. When we called for all Israel to come out against Benjamin, Jabesh Gilead didn't come out, which is in our story today. They didn't come out, so here's what we'll do. We'll go in and we're going to kill every man, woman, and child except for the virgin young women that would make good wives so they go in and they kill them and they have 400 virgins they're 200 short now so they gather back together and say well how are we going to get them 200 more wives and they said well there's a feast at shiloh i mean this is a glorious thing right there this is a glorious end to the book of Judges. There's a feast at Shiloh and the virgin daughters will be dancing and celebrating this feast and you guys hide in the bushes and ambush them and steal whichever wife you want from the daughters of Shiloh. And so the tribe of Benjamin continued on because they stole wives from Jabesh Gilead and from the daughters of Shiloh. Yuck! Huh? There's man in all of his glory, in all of his wisdom. And now we get to our text, which is about salvation. Three times salvation is talked about in this text. This text is introduced by the men who said, how can this man save us at the end of chapter 10? And we're going to consider the lessons we can learn. And hopefully these similarities will jump out to you as we look at this. So look at First Samuel 11 now. Now, Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. Now, these poor people who have been wronged in so many ways. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us that we may serve you. Now this is a vassal treaty. They're saying we'll pay tribute to you if you'll protect us. We'll be, a, we'll be your servants. But Nahash is an arrogant man. He doesn't fear Israel at all. You see, Israel is this weird entity where you have these different tribes that aren't connected politically very well at this point in time in history, and you have elders over every tribe. And he's not worried in the least. He's not scared of Israel, you can tell, in the least as they asked for a treaty. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition, I'll make a treaty with you. Literally, he's saying, here's how I'll cut the covenant with you. Usually you sacrifice an animal. I want to bore out your right eyes. Let me bore out the right eye and I'll make a treaty. And what's his goal? And thus bring disgrace on all of Israel. That's what he wants to do. You know, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's few verses, comments before chapter 11 that says all the Israelites east of the Jordan River had their right eyes bored out, but 7,000 men found refuge in Jabesh Gilead. So so can you imagine 7,000 one-eyed men coming to town and now Nahash is here and he says, I'll cut a treaty with you you see those men's eyes, I'll cut the same treaty and I'll bring disgrace on Israel. They say, give us seven days. And in his arrogance, he says, yeah, you go see if you can find someone to deliver from me. And then we see, uh, after they asked for seven days, we read in verse 4, when the messengers of Gibeah came to Saul. So, now get the picture of where we are. So, people from Jabesh-Gilead come to Gibeah. Really? This is where the Benjaminites got their wives from. So there's a connection between these two towns. Do we have the... This might help to see this. So if you look here... Uh, you can see Jabesh-Gilead right there. The Jordan River runs right here. It's 20 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. Gibeah is right here. And so you can kind of get a picture. Now go to the next slide. The Ammonites are from the east side of the Jordan there, so you can picture how they've been born out the right eyes of people east of the Jordan. And so messengers come to Gibeah, and as the people hear this, they begin to weep. These are family members back there. These women came from Jabesh Gilead. And he said... um, It says in verse 5, Now behold, Saul was coming in from the field behind the oxen. Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took the yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them through all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so it shall be done to his oxen. And we're just seeing a similar story playing out that we just read in the book of Judges. Then the dread of the Lord fell on the people and they came out as one man. When... He mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you. They're saying this to Nahash and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. If you want to bore out our eyes, we'll give ourselves up to you tomorrow afternoon, he says. The next day, Saul put the people in three companies, just like Gideon did. And they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of day. This one feels good. any, Any guy who wants to bore out The eyes of people. You're just not rooting for him. He's so arrogant that they can, he gives them seven days to try to find someone to deliver him. And then we read, and those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Referring to these worthless men back in chapter 10. You know, everyone's feeling pretty tough now. Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation. Here's what Saul knew. He knew the Lord worked salvation, that the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And so you have a dark day in Gibeah beyond what we can imagine where the Benjaminites will not kill, put forth the worthless men, man. And now you have a Benjaminite that protects worthless men again, but on this day it's the shining day in Gibeah. There's salvation in Gibeah. There's Pride for the Benjaminite people as their king reigns. And look at verse 14. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. The NEB translation says, And there renew allegiance to the king." So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. It seems like, isn't this the third time we've done this? And there they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So what are we supposed to take from this account that has so many references or similarities to these judges who brought salvation to Israel. Well, the first thing I think we ought to see and recognize the foolishness of seeking your own salvation apart from the Spirit of God. What is clear in the book of Judges and what is clear here is that salvation comes when the Spirit of the Lord is present. You remember Jesus when He was talking to Nicodemus? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Where the power of the Spirit is not there. There is no salvation. What this story is clearly portraying is that you think salvation is going to come because now you have a monarchy? Because now you have a king like the nations? What this story screams is that Salvation is still going to come the same way it came then. It's when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, whether it's in a judge or a king, it's going to happen the same way by the power of God. And it's no different for you or I. Salvation will not come for us apart from the Spirit of God. Whether we're talking about your new birth or whether we're talking about you killing sin, Apart from the Spirit of God, there will be no power. As long as you do it your own way. And our default, in our flesh, is to do exactly what the men of Jabesh Gilead did. I'll make a treaty with you. I get afraid so quick. I don't want to have to live by faith. And God is the God of wonders. The God of the stars. How foolish to try to find salvation apart from the Spirit of God. What's resounding here is you might think something so new is happening, but salvation comes by the Spirit of the Lord. It's no wonder that Jesus told the disciples, don't do anything until the Spirit comes upon you. Don't think you're going to go act out in power As apostles, until the Spirit comes upon you at Pentecost. Second thing, renew your allegiance to the kingdom every time you rebel. Here's what Samuel's doing he's bringing Israel back, reminding them. He's bringing them back to Gilgal, just like Joshua set up the stones. Where's your salvation? Saul said it. Salvation comes from the Lord. And we can read these Old Testament passages and think how dumb or how wicked these worthless fellows are. And yet, it's the same for us today. There's one greater than Samuel telling us to renew our allegiance to the kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Jesus Christ Himself is saying, Seek the kingdom of God first. Renew your allegiance to the kingdom. What, What came right before this? The kingdom law from Christ from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. The Sermon on the Mount. And what do you see in there? All throughout there, you see people who need to humble themselves before the Lord for salvation, to repent of their sins, to cut off arms and pluck out eyes in their battle with sin. And I stray from the kingdom and you stray And daily we need to be reminded of king jesus the one whom at his baptism had the spirit of god come upon him and the lord said this is the one finally this is the one with whom i am well pleased you're left wanting with every old testament savior whether it's moses or Joshua, or Saul, or David. This is the one. And so for those of you who are Christians, we need to be reminded to come back to Gilgal. We have a king. And there is a kingdom. And He gave us His Spirit. And He is a powerful God. And we need not fear anything if the spirit of the lord jesus christ is with us and for those who aren't not yet saved who aren't christians what you need to know is that this powerful god is a god of extreme unbelievable unmeasurable grace and mercy as He so loved the world that He sent Jesus Christ to bear your sins and my sins so that we could live in His house forever, come into His courts, be children in the kingdom of God. The only way that can happen is if you repent of your sins, say, life is is not over here. This is how I live in my flesh. I need salvation, and I believe Jesus is the Savior. And when you trust in Christ, He paid the price for your sins so that you will never pay for them. And His perfect life you could never live is transferred into your account so that the holy God of the universe, the God of all power, can invite us to live in His presence forever, face to face. Father, I pray that faith would be growing right now in the believers that are here. Faith comes by hearing. Lord, Your Word proclaims truths that makes faith grow i pray that that would be happening in our hearts lord i pray that we would smell like those people who represent the king you are a great lord i pray this in all in jesus name amen